0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Thursday Morning Devotion. Uh, You would have noticed that Lene was live yesterday, so we switched days. I'm going to do the Friday thing now, and she's going to do the Wednesday thing now. So, um, yeah, yesterday was just awesome. I really enjoyed the word yesterday. And I want to actually continue a little bit on that. So, um, if you didn't hear the word that Lene shared yesterday, please do yourself a favor and watch that word as well so hello everybody welcome uh okay all right so it is it's good to have you here with me so i'm going to just start reading in isaiah 55 so um Okay. Isaiah 55 says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That's verse seven. And let him return to the Lord and he will have love, pity and mercy for him and to our God and he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. Okay, so there's one response that God says from even the old that when someone turns from wicked ways to him, this is what they can expect of God you will have love, pity, and mercy. Okay, so God says it, Hosea chapter 6, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 12, sacrifices I have not desired, but I, have, I desire mercy. And also in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, uh, sacrifices you have not desired, but uh, I, you have prepared a body for me to offer. All right, so this word of mercy, says Hebrews 12 also, uh, the blood that speaks from heaven speaks of mercy it's a greater message than the blood of abel that cried for vengeance so any word of vengeance is a lower word it speaks from beneath but the word from above says mercy so god calls on people whose thoughts are not his thoughts whose ways are not his ways to turn to him and he will have love and pity and mercy um, for him, and turn to God, and he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. So forgiveness and mercy and love has always been who God is. So he says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts the, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from the heavens and return not there again, But water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout, that it may give seed to the sower and bread uh, to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. So there's a word that goes forth out of his mouth. I want you to take notice of it. There's a word that goes forth out of his mouth. Okay, so shall my word be. It shall not return to me void without producing any effect or useless, but it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So that word will accomplish the thing for which it was sent. Okay. So we know that Jesus um, is the word that became flesh. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. So that word uh, finds its manifestation in the person Jesus Christ. All right. So I want to turn back to Isaiah 54. Um, So, the word that speaks from heaven, just remember that, the word that goes forth out of his mouth is like the rains, it goes, or the snow, it goes, but it will not return to him void without producing any effect. All right. So, uh, Isaiah 54. All right. Verse 15 says, Behold, they may gather together and stir up strife, but it is not for me. So if there's any strife being stirred up, know that it is not God working. Okay? Whoever stirs up strife against you shall fall and surrender to you. What a scripture. Okay? If there's any strife against you, if there's something that rises up against you, if there's something that rises up inside you, any strife, any conflict, uh, stirring up strife, something that is your enemy, something that is against you. God says, whoever stirs up strife against you shall fall and surrender to you. So what, what are you facing? Outside or inside? What are you facing? What strife is stirred up within or on the outside that's against you, that seemingly that is, that is your enemy? that is trying to bring you down, that is trying to defeat you. God says, They may gather together and stir up strife, but it is not for me. Whoever stirs up strife shall fall and surrender to you. Okay, so James chapter 1 also says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. All right? Verse 16, Behold, I have created the smith who blows on the fire of coals, and who produces a weapon for its purpose. And I have created the devastator to destroy. But no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment. You see, there's a word that rises against you. That stirs up strife within and without. A word that comes against you. That causes uh, unrest. (laughs) That causes uh, guilt and shame. That causes Uh, the peace to flee away from you. Okay. So he says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall show to be in the wrong. So any word, any tongue, any message that rises up against you to accuse you, you shall show to be in the wrong when God, uh, is your the the word that's dwelling inside you? When the word that comes down from heaven uh, produces the effect that it was designed to do. Okay, so he says, "I have created the smith who blows on the fire of coals, who produces a weapon for its purpose, and I have created the devastator to destroy." Okay, so. Yesterday, Lene mentioned this as well. So I want to just continue a little bit on it. So if you look right in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this tree was not focused on the knowledge of God. This tree or this knowledge was focused on the distinction between what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil. So this tree, when partaken of when people receive the tree, that tree uh, causes you to turn away from the person Christ and to causes you, it causes you to look to yourself. It causes you to live in separation from God. Uh, you can clearly see it in Genesis chapter 3 when uh, when God uh walked in the cool of the garden, and he, and he looked for Adam, and he said, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I was, af- I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself from you. So the knowledge of good and evil causes people to see certain aspects of themselves, and it accuses, and it brings the attention on the, what is lacking. And it causes people to look to their own mistakes instead of looking to Jesus or looking to the Father to walk in fellowship or to walk in dependence on him. So the whole point of everything from the start, we were created to be completely 100% dependent on him. So the word of the knowledge of good and evil is a natural word. It's a word that is from beneath. Beneath. And the, the uh, word of life, the tree of life, it's a word from above that speaks from above. It's a word of mercy. This word is a word of judgment, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this word is a word of mercy. So God warned Adam in the beginning. He said, don't eat from this tree because in that day or in that time, you will surely die. So He stood there and you know, so the serpent came inside the tree and he came with words and he started speaking to Eve and he said, did God say, did God say? Now he's trying to cast some kind of doubt on what God said. So she answered him. She said, God said to eat of every tree, but not of this tree for in that day you will die. So the serpent said, you will not surely die. So, line number one, okay? You will not die, but your eyes will be opened in that, though you, in that you will get the knowledge of good and evil, and you will get, gain wisdom. And then she was enticed, and she looked at the fruit and saw that it was desirable in order to make one wise. And she took of it, and she ate and she gave to her husband with her, so he wasn't far away. If you read the King James, he, she gave to her husband with her and he took and he ate. So later he blamed her and she blamed the serpent. <laughs> so, but the whole point is their eyes were open. But their eyes were open to the wrong knowledge. Their eyes were open to what they lacked. But so, what did they lack? They were created obviously sinless, because sin only entered with the knowledge of good and evil, but they were created, the word says Adam stood up a living soul, natural man, okay, so he had not eaten yet of the tree of life, or of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, two opposing words, all right, so he did not eat yet of the tree of life, that means he did not receive from the tree of life what he lacked, what he should have had, So uh, we are created to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. We are created to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be clothed upon by the manifestation of the Spirit of God. We are the dwelling place of God. Christ in us, we in Christ. That's what we were made for. So there's Adam and Eve, natural people, not in the manifestation of Christ in them and them in Christ. So they had the choice. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of knowledge showed them what they did not have. Showed them that they were naked. They were not clothed over with Christ. So there's these doctrines that says, you know, Adam was clothed with glory in the beginning. There's no scripture that says it. He was not yet clothed with anything. So what the tree of knowledge did, it put a mirror and it showed them themselves instead of showing them God. Instead of showing them Christ. So they took that and they got the knowledge of what they lacked. And by that knowledge, they tried to make themselves better. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So they now tried aspiring to be clothed when they would have just been clothed by receiving the clothing of the spirit upon the body. that That was what the tree of life would have given to them. All right, so the, this word of the knowledge of good and evil is so uh, deceiving because it looks good, and it is good, and it's even true. But the thing is what it does is it takes your attention and your affection away from God, and it turns it on yourself and so, so that you can, by your own knowledge and by your own works, strive to become like what he said you already are. All right, so um, so now, I have created the smith who blows on the fire of coals. What I see there is I see uh, if you read Galatians chapter three, around right about verse nineteen, it says, "The law was given through the instrumentality of angels uh, through a go between which is Moses, so it implies two, two parties, God and Israel, and but the promise that came before the law was one party is God making his promise to Abram. Okay, so there you got the two trees again. The promise is the tree of life, and the the word of knowledge of good and evil is the law of Moses. There you got the two trees again. So why did God then bring the knowledge of good and evil in? Well, the knowledge of good and evil, there had to be something to reign over. Uh, He said... Let us make man and let them rule. Let him have authority over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creeping thing on the face of the earth. So man had to rule over something. But the first thing that uh, that they found that they need to subdue, they subjected themselves to it. So instead of just repeating what God said, said, get out, you serpent, out of this tree. Uh, No one's supposed to have this knowledge, but God, get out. Instead of saying that, they conversed with him and took the word, and they were, their attention was diverted from God's word to the word of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought the separation. Not God hating them, them separating them from God out of fear because of the intimate knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of sin. All right. So on the mountain where the law was given, where the, the, uh, the law is also in essence, the knowledge of good and evil. So on the law, on the mountain where the law was was given, there was uh, uh, smoke, uh, there was a a cloud, and there was fire on top of the mountain, so much so that you can even see today, if you see pictures of that same mountain in, in Arabia, that you can see how the mountaintop is scorched and burnt. Okay? So there was a fire. So he says, I have created the smith who blows on the coals to form, to forge a weapon, okay, who produces a weapon for its purpose, and I've created the devastator to destroy, all right, so there's different ways to look at this, so uh, I just, what I just see in in the whole creation story, uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all things were created through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. So all things were created by the Word, except man was created out of the dust, out of the clay, so that the Word, creation power of God through the Spirit of God, could actually dwell inside man. So, man was supposed to be the guardian of creation. Man was supposed to be the crown of the creation. Man was a special creation. So, man, what God had envisioned for man was a living body in which the Spirit of God, the Word, would become flesh. So, that Word, the Word what created everything. And then the Word wanted to come and dwell on the inside, if, simply Okay. The the word uh, came on the inside of of man. So that was what God uh, envisioned. All right. So now you you've got creation. So I believe if you see if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 1 to 3, but especially chapter 3. Uh, the serpent, it says, was one, one of the most crafty of all the creatures. So, it was a creature. Uh, the serpent was a creature. So, it was created. So, the point wasn't how good or bad the serpent was. So, the, the point was that Adam and Eve had needed something to rule over. And when... Uh, that something came to them, they received the word of that something instead of ruling over it. So we were created to subdue and to reign. Okay? So God separated. First thing God did in Genesis 1 was God separated the light from the, God, the, from the darkness and he called the light good. Okay. So good and evil was present in the garden. And man, all a man had to do was said, I don't want that knowledge. I want the knowledge. Sorry. I want the knowledge of life. All right? So now, no, he says, I've created the smith that blows on the coals. So I see that as the angels, the instrumentality of angels that brought the law to Moses. And I'll tell you why I see the law as uh, the angels and the law as the, uh, as the first weapon. He says, I've created the smith who blows on the fire of coals and who produces a weapon for its purpose. I've created the devastator to destroy. Now, the devastator to destroy, uh, I believe, is just the devil. So, uh, John chapter 10 says, The thief comes only for to steal, kill, and destroy. So, the, the destroyer must be the thief. But if you read earlier in John chapter 10, round about verse 8, it says, I am the door. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers. So, who came before uh, Jesus? The Sadducees, the Scribes, and the the Pharisees. So, so the thief is the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? The thief is the knowledge of good and evil and all those who it dwells in. Okay? And the, uh, the weapon is the law itself. All right? But it was created for a certain purpose. Okay? But it says, but no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every... Tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, there describes the, the weapon. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall show to be in the wrong. And then it says, this peace, righteousness, security, triumph over opposition. You see the ruling there? Is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, those in whom the ideal servant of the Lord is reproduced. The, uh, this is the righteousness or the vindication which they obtained from me. Okay. So let's just go to Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, the weapon is described again. So sorry if I'm rushing, it's just for time. <laughs> so in Romans chapter 7 verse 8, um, it says, where are we? Verse 8. It says, but sin finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself. Okay, so you see the sin is the serpent and the commandment is the tree of knowledge. Sin finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself got a hold on me and aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires. So there's the serpent speaking to Eve. Eve got the desire. She was enticed and she saw that it was desirable and good for food. Okay. In order to make one wise. So sin finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself got a hold on me and aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires. Picture is clear as day. For without the law, knowledge of good and evil, sin is dead. The sense of it is inactive and a lifeless thing. Okay. Uh, So verse 11 says, For sin seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and entrapped and cheated me, and using it as a weapon killed me. So the penalty... For non-compliance in the law is the weapon that sin uses to stir up the forbidden desire. So the more you, you pour law onto a certain problem, the more the desire for it, for it will explode. But Romans chapter five says, where sin increased. Grace has increased the more the more and superabounded. So, the the tree of life will always be more than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. All right. So, now if we look at, where shall we go? I think let's go first to to Hebrews chapter 4, and I want you to see the second weapon. I want you to see the second weapon. Hebrews chapter 4 says, um, for the word of God that God speaks is alive, full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of the soul and the immortal spirit and joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing, sifting, analyzing, judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Okay, so Romans chapter 10 says, with the heart, a person believes and with the mouth, he confesses unto salvation. So you receive salvation by believing with the heart, by receiving the sword to cut deep into your heart. This is called the circumcision of the heart. Okay? So now the word of God cuts deeply. And you can even see that it, it would cut deeply even to those who are, who are against it. In Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen spoke the word of God and they were cut to the heart and then they grinded their teeth at him and they grabbed him and they closed their ears and, and screamed. And it's like a wail, a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. And then they grabbed him and dragged him outside the city. So they went outside the city. So for those who have ears to hear. Okay. So, uh, so Acts chapter seven, uh, also just shows you this weapon. It's a, it cut to the heart. All right, so but they just didn't want it. Okay, so now, if we can go to Revelation, chapter one, is a description of Jesus Christ. Okay, if I can get, just get to the description. Okay, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes flashed like a flaming fire. His feet glowed like burnished, bright bronze, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth, there came forth a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full power at midday. So I would say that would be someone who would be very effective in destroying darkness. (laughs) Okay, right. So uh, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. There's the two trees again. Okay, so God wants to bring life where the thief wants to destroy and bring death. So there uh, there was just this... Wisdom of God. Uh, we, we have over the years discussed Second Corinthians 3 so much. I can just say, and I spoke about it on Tuesday as well. Whenever the law is read, a veil lies on their hearts and minds. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. So the more the, the law is read, the more the heart is, and the mind is veiled from what God really wants to say. And to know the person, Jesus Christ. All right. So, um, God wanted to completely destroy sin. So, how did God destroy sin? He sent his son in the guise of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh over all who accept that sacrifice so that the righteous and just requirements of the law might be fully met in us who live and move, not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the spirit. Alright, so Jesus came. Now, I've spoken at length also about this thing of uh, the purpose of the law was to punish sin. So, Romans chapter 5 verse 13 and Romans chapter 4 verse 15 says more or less, if there's no law, there's no punishment. If there's no law, there's no transgression. Sin cannot be imputed to someone if there's no law to transgress. Alright, but sin had to be punished. And sin had to be completely destroyed By punishment. So God brought in the law as a weapon for its purpose through the instrumentality of angels. So the weapon was given. So sin found an opportunity to express itself. But God had a plan hidden to the natural understanding the veil. All right? So what happened was they were now in this contract, and Jesus was born of a woman made under the law to redeem them um, who were under the law. Okay? To redeem us from under the law. That's um, Galatians chapter 4, round about verse 4. Okay? So Jesus came, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Okay, so here's the first new creation man, the first one that actually looked like what God planned for creation all along. That was what Adam would have looked like if he simply ate from the tree of life. Okay, so here comes Jesus, the last Adam, the second man. So, but you know, he hid his glory. Because if they had knew, known who he was, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, they would never have crucified him. And he had to be crucified. That was the purpose of the weapon. So the weapon came for its purpose. The purpose was to punish sin in the body of Jesus. Never to bring destruction to people. God loves people. But to bring destruction to sin in the body of Jesus. So Jesus took it upon himself. He who knew no sin. Became sin for us. So that we might be made the righteousness of God. He became the scapegoat. Goat, scapegoat. He became the, the lamb that was slain. He became the perfect offering. The perfect sacrifice for sin. Ending all sacrifices. Ending all the atonement that people thought they needed to bring. Ending the need for the knowledge of good and evil. So... He redeemed us from under that curse so that we could receive the adoption as sons. Okay. So the second, the first weapon is a weapon that sin can use against people. But Jesus used it for his advantage. He used the sinfulness of people to take the weapon to slay the righteous so that he could become the offering for sin and he took back his life again and then he revealed the second weapon Mm -hmm. which is simply the gospel of jesus christ so what is that second weapon it is the word of the spirit that cuts right into the depths of the hearts of people the circumcision of the heart the word that is infused with the spirit, mm. the words of spirit and of life. Yeah. Okay, so if we now look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, I was so blessed by Lenay's message yesterday. Okay, so Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse three says, "For though, the, though we walk, we live in the flesh; we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh, and using mere human weapons." Mm-hmm. So what is in effect, in effect saying is, "The law is not going to help you to get to your to your goal. Yeah. The law is not going to help you to help people." Mm-hmm. All right. We live in the flesh; we have human bodies. But we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh, using mere human weapons. So that human weapons, I don't think, well, I mean, you can obviously spoke, speak about, you know, actual swords and hammers and whatever you want to use as a weapon. I'm just thinking of Thor. But, okay, you know, if you, whatever weapon, yes, sure. But the human weapon, in, in, in context of the word, I think is more than it's, it's the natural word. Okay people use words or messages as weapons all the time okay so second corinthians 10 verse 4 for the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood but they are mighty before god for the overthrow 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 your help for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds Okay, so a stronghold is something where someone runs to hide. Okay, a stronghold is like a tower where someone goes into, or a bunker where someone goes into, uh, which causes them to be entrenched in a certain area, and no matter how much force you give, you can't get them rooted out. Okay, so it's someone in hiding, but someone that is in enmity against you. So that stronghold is mindsets it's mindsets full of the knowledge of good and evil so the stronghold in which sin dwells is the mindset of knowledge of good and evil the stronghold in which your uh the, the favorite thing that you like to say you're bound to okay the thing that you feel victim to. Mm-hmm. The thing that, uh, that conquers you mostly. Yeah. The stronghold of that thing is the law. Yeah. The stronghold of that thing is the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Okay? Verse 5. In as we refute arguments. Okay, so this weapon refutes arguments. So what could that be? Maybe this weapon is the sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Yeah. And theories and reasonings, maybe this weapon is the sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus that is directed towards the heart and not the mind, not the intellect. Your mind will understand after your heart believes. Okay. And every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. Okay, so anything, so what are the choices? The choices are the knowledge of good and evil or the knowledge of God. When we speak about weapons, these two weapons, the one is the knowledge of good and evil and the one is the knowledge of God. So they are antagonistic to one another. Okay, so Galatians 5 says that the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit are antagonistic, constantly withstanding one another. So the mind of the spirit says Hebrews uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse uh, 6 says the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace both now and forever. So. Now, the mind of the flesh, which is death, what can that be? Could it be the knowledge of good and evil that leads to death? Could it be the law that leads to death? The law that 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7 says is the ministration of condemnation and death. Maybe our problem is not the sin. Maybe our problem is the stronghold of the law that keeps the sin alive. And there's something that can overthrow that stronghold and pull down that stronghold. And it is called the word of God. So you were called from the beginning to rule and reign over something. And that's something that you need to rule and reign over. From the beginning, right in the garden was the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing you need to rule over. How do you rule over something? Is you say something. Okay, so Romans chapter 5 verse 70. If death reigned through one man's disobedience or falling away, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace or the overflowing grace, depends on which translation you read, and the free gift of righteousness reign as king's In life, in one Christ Jesus. So, how will you reign? By receiving the word of grace and righteousness and believing it. So, one thing that is comforting to me to realize that the devil is a creature is to know that from the beginning, he's been under my feet and under my authority. He's been lying from the beginning, says John chapter 8, He's a liar and he's the father of lies. But he's a creature. He was created by word. I was created by God's hands. And then his word that reigns came to dwell inside me when I received the Holy Ghost. We have authority over the devil. We have authority over everything he says. We have the light of God in us. We are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world and He is inside of us. So it's time that we get our head out of the sand and start saying something. It's time that we get our minds out of the gutters and start meditating on the word of God. You have received weapons. And the weapons are right here. If we meditate on these, Joshua, meditate on this book. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Meditate day and night and so shall you make your way. Prosperous. Okay, so the weapons are not flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and the, the destruction of strongholds, inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ. Every thought needs to be led away captive. If a thought wants to exalt itself within or exalt itself around you, you can just say, Thought, come with me. Let's let's take a walk to the cross where you were defeated. Okay? So don't just try to ignore the thought. Let every train of thought end at one station, which is the cross. The victory. The destruction of the destroyer. Okay? So First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this reason the Son of God was made manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10, 38, How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Okay, so where were we healed? By his wounds, we were healed. Okay? So, everything that you could encounter today that has been uh, setting itself up against the true knowledge of God in your life has already been defeated at the cross. So, why don't you just remind that thing, that enemy of yours, that enemy that comes from within, shame and guilt, the, the, the sin that that prances around as holiness, okay? I'm speaking of the, the temptation to try and get righteousness through the law, okay? That thing that takes the law and then judges you, and some people, they feel so good because now I feel guilty about my sin, at least I still have a conscience. No, if, you've, if your conscience is filled with, with um, shame and guilt, Hebrews chapter 10 says, let's come forward and be sprinkled from a guilty, evil conscience and washed in the blood and washed with pure water. Okay, so you're sprinkled with the blood. You're washed with the washing of the water by the word. Your conscience needs to be free from any knowledge of sin, any knowledge of good and evil. So you can Daily. Be washed by the water of the word and have a clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer conscience. And the clearer the conscience, the easier it is to reign over whatever sets itself up against the true knowledge of God from within or without. Okay? So the clearer the conscience through the blood of Jesus alone, the easier it is for you to say, get out. The easier it is for you to say, this thought is not from God. This is not who I am. This thought will get out right now, okay, because of the blood of Jesus. You take it right to the cross, okay? So if, if condemnation jumps up in your heart, First John chapter 3 says, from verse 18 about, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, not in theory or in speech, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall come to know that we are of the truth and can reassure our hearts in his presence. Whenever our hearts in tormenting self-accusation make us feel guilty or condemn us. So it's your heart that condemns you. So what do you need? You need the sword of the spirit to cut deep into your heart, to sift, analyze the thoughts, and to, to bring a division between the stuff that's supposed to be there and the stuff that's not supposed to be there. So you need to hear the word and let it pierce deep. Let the word wash over you. Because it, <clears throat> sorry, it filters out all the nonsense. It filters out all the stuff. It recalibrates your mind. It helps you to think the way God thinks. It's repentance. And what do you get when you repent? Love and pity and mercy. So the, the sword of the spirit will always leave you feeling love. And pity and mercy. Pitied and mercy. <laughs> okay? God is, he looks at you and he loves you. He looks at you and he is, how can I put it? He's uh, compassionate. He has sympathy with what you're going through. And I also said it yesterday, which chapter 2 says that because he partook of our same nature, uh he is a merciful high priest that is sympathetic and he is able to run to the cry of them who are uh, being exposed to you know tempting testing and trial and who are exposed to suffering, who therefore are being exposed to suffering all right, so the word of God is the sword of the spirit, so the word of the law is the sword that sin uses to kill you. So you need to choose your weapon. If you're going to take up the law by a natural mind and swing it around, you're going to hurt people. And you, you know, judge not lest thou be judged. Matthew 7, I think verse 7. Just judge not lest thou be judged. So if you're going to take up the, the law, you can read also Romans chapter 2. God says, hey, you who take the law and judge someone else, don't you break the same law? So don't take the sword of the law and start swinging it around. That's the sword that, this, that sin wields. And God used... The, he was killed by the hands of sinful men with a purpose to destroy sin in the body of Jesus. He took back his life. Sin was completely destroyed. Death was completely destroyed. And now there's a different sword, the sword coming from the mouth of the sun. And this sword goes much deeper it cuts to the core and it brings light and it brings life okay so you can just if your heart is settled in the spirit of god if your heart is completely anchored in his presence you can speak two words and someone is free Mm -hmm. but you can hit someone with the law for decades and they won't change they'll just become worse The only thing that will happen is it will go in secret. That's all that will happen. It's not going to go away. It's just going to be secret. All right. It's exactly where I'm going. My wife is, uh, she's on it. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, we're so far over the time. I'm just going to finish. So Ephesians chapter 6 says this, then, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. <clears throat> be empowered through your union with him. That's the opposite of what the law of, good and of, the law of Moses is, the law of knowledge of good and evil says. The knowledge of good and evil says you need to do it from your side. Yeah. It doesn't say God is your source. It's, it just says love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor like yourself, and then maybe then you will please God. Yeah. Okay? Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him. That means complete, 100% total dependence. That strength which is boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which God supplies that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. That sounds like... That sounds like all the ideas of people. That sounds like, you know, strongholds and arguments that need to be refuted. For we are not... All the strategies and stuff, if you just just see what's going on in the political sphere of the world right now, it's like people lost their minds. It's like people who, who have influence are completely surrendered to demons. It's ridiculous. All this gender nonsense... That's going around people raising their babies as babies. I don't even want to put your attention on this stuff. Sick. So we put on the, the, the armor to stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the, all the deceits, the lies of the devils of the devil. Okay, verse 12, for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against despotisms, against powers, against master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness. sounds very imposing, but it's simply liars, creatures, uh, lying spirits that need just to be cut out by the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day. Remember, uh, every uh, one that rises up against you will fall and surrender to you. Remember James 1, uh, resist resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay. Put on God's complete armor that you, you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. So you just stand in your place. What's that place? The secret place. What's that place? The presence of Jesus. What's that place? A heart surrendered to him. Yeah. That's all. You just stand. And you speak the word. Verse 14. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins. So what, what is truth if it's not spoken? Yeah. Okay? And having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God. So uh, if you just jump over to the King James... It would say, stand there for having uh, your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. With other words, the word of righteousness is in your heart, and it's like a breastplate. And having shod your feet in preparation, etc. I'm just going to jump over the King James. He said, having f- your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's the same thing again. Verse sixteen. Uh, Lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith. It's again, it's the the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing. It's a shield, saving faith, upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. What's the flaming missiles? It's lies. And take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the spirit. So it's, now your intellect is also protected because of salvation. Yes. Okay, so note that the breastplate of righteousness. So the righteousness word goes to your heart, which causes your intellect to be saved. Yeah. Okay, just see that it's first your heart and then the intellect, then the, the head. Okay, take the helmet of salvation and the sword, of the, the, the sword that the spirit wields which is the word of God. You see the second weapon there? It's the gospel of Jesus. Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding interceding on behalf of all the saints. And pray also for me uh, that freedom of utterance may be given me. Okay. So the law is an accusing... Word that brings death to you. And sin uses it against you to kill you. The gospel is a liberating word. It's a liberating word which washes out all the knowledge of good and evil, all the effects, all the strongholds, all the reasonings, all the effects of the knowledge of good and evil, and the sin that the knowledge of good and evil has uh, stirred up inside you. So the weapon that we need to be using is not the law. We will then partner with sin. If you're going to take the law and preach it to people, you're going to partner with their demise. But if you're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and speak it, that sword of the Savior that has already conquered death, the son of God that has already destroyed the destroyer and has already uh, undone all the works of the devil. If you're going to speak that word, you're going to see people who are free. So, don't pay any attention to the devil or his lies. He's a defeated foe. Okay? He, he was, Jesus led a train of vanquished foes. Jesus' victory is absolute and complete. So all you need is to surrender and believe and be in total dependence on him and speak what his word says. And all your enemies will be made still beneath your feet. I'm speaking of reality. It's already conquered. But the less you pay attention, the smaller the devil is in your mind, the better. The bigger Jesus is in your mind the better. Just speak his word. All things are already under his feet. The last enemy, out of our perspective, to be conquered is death. How will death be conquered? Oh, death, where is your your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is, ding, 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 the law. So, wash the law out of your system with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only weapon... That can pull down the strongholds of sin all right so i hope this message has blessed you uh, if you are shocked that i believe that god created the devil don't worry i just for interest sake i do not believe that lucifer is the devil lucifer was a was a king in babylon lucifer is not the devil he's a man and the bible says it in so many words he's a man and the devil is a lying spirit all right so, he's under our feet, he's defeated, and he's got nothing against you. Uh, resist the devil, he will flee from you, and uh, uh, those who stir up, strife against you, will fall and surrender to you. All you need to know is Jesus Christ is Lord, his King, and he's conquered everything and he's inside you. He's for you, he's not against you, and nothing will ever separate you from his love. All right. Okay. So let's just put the devil in his place, the sucker. He's under our feet, you know, just crush his head. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Jesus already did it on the cross. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, she says, amen, amen, amen. We're already an hour. Have an awesome day. (laughs) Be blessed. Uh, We'll see you again tomorrow. Amen.